2: Good afternoon, everyone. This is Randolph Duke, and I'm joined here with Gail Sylvia at Sylvia Global. I heard the music come on my computer so as to step away from it so we don't have that music repeating twice. Not sure why it came up, but I wanted to welcome you all in today. I have a very, very special guest in store for you today. That's why we're coming to you on Monday at 2 p.m. rather than the normal time slot, which is at ten AM on Wednesdays, but this program will be repeated so that if anybody misses it they will be able to uh to be able to tune in, so to speak, and share with the BlogSpot at any time. Uh, my special guest today is Marianne Williamson. I know we're we're getting her on the line now and, and Gail you're there you're there, right? I'm
3: absolutely here. I'm absolutely here.
2: This is exciting. This is a really exciting day for us to be able to continue the beauty series here and discussions as they relate. And, and I've known Marianne for so many years, and I just thought it's such an apropos time with an <laughs> upcoming election. Um, the Sister Giant Movement, which we're going to learn all about today. And just Marianne's, you, you know, uh, strong, mm-hmm. strong leading voice in the new age of consciousness to be able to share with us some empowering insights, inspirations, messages uh, about this very exciting time to be alive.
0: And, and you know uh, that I'm here, right? No, we are There, there <laughs> you are.
2: Okay, all <laughs> you're right. talking so, about no no me like I'm, not a I'm not I had a whole uh, introduction here. for you planned, but I'm glad you're on, darling. Hi. <laughs> Hi, how are you?
0: fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was just introducing you. Let me go back just one second now that I have you so I can completely embarrass you, Marianne. I've known Marianne for so many years, and and she's not just a revered friend and a great confidant and wonderful ally, but Marianne is, is such a leading voice today in Shining Light in the New Age of Consciousness. She's a renowned author with uh, I believe, six number one bestsellers on the New York uh, Times bestsellers list, correct? Uh, four books. number ones, but six
0: four on number the one. list.
2: Okay, well, I exaggerated just a little bit. But, <laughs> uh, Return to Love, one of her most well-known books, of course a lecturer on the world stage and, as I said, a leading voice in the new age of consciousness and something very special to talk about today, which is Sister Giant, Mm -hmm. and which is why I decided to have you on the show, Marianne, because I thought it was so important with the upcoming election, the importance of the vote this year, as it always is, but particularly to speak to the female audience as well as the men who support them about this very important movement.
0: Well, thank you so much, As you said, and as we all know, we have a big election coming up, and I think many of us are concerned not just because the election itself is so significant, but because there's so much scuttlebutt about the integrity of the election process. Um, You know, this whole idea of voting machines and voter intimidation and voter suppression. These are things which we were all brought up to believe we didn't have to worry about in this country. But I think there's a lot of nervousness around this election. Um I think the hurricane on the East Coast adds to it. It just yeah. seems like everybody's a little bit on edge even more than usual. Uh is that just my is that just my sense or do you feel that also?
2: Gail, how do you feel about that? Gail All right, well, then I'll just stay
0: with the declarative sentence. I think (laughs) think
2: so. We'll take it as well. No, I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) Here (laughs)
0: I'm
2: here. Oh, I think (laughs) that's right. Gail was going to be on mute, so we didn't interrupt you. No,
0: I'm here. Okay, well, Um, it it just seems that way to me, and there is a sense that no matter who wins, that we need to have a new conversation in this country. And I work with people who are very interested in the personal journey of personal transformation, uh, some people through recovery programs, through spiritual paths such as the Course in Miracles, some through religious paths, some through yoga, some through psychotherapy, and I think many of us who are speaking to the inner dimension of things, to the more natural rhythm of things, to the to the to the love and to the heart at uh, at the heart of all things, I think many people who are coming to this kind of view of the world that is more heart-centered and that is more internally filtered are are bringing that perspective into every area but when when it comes to politics it's like we can't get in there with a new conversation because the conversation itself is sort of sewn up by a very old paradigm perspective and i think that 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 is what people are yearning for obviously we have a presidential election in front of us right now but when that election is over What I feel in the country and what I know in my own heart is a real yearning is to have a conversation about where we're we're going as a country and where we're going as a planet and where we're all going together that is sustainable in the deepest way, not only sustainable externally, but sustainable internally. And that's what Sister Giant is about. You know, we have in the U.S. Congress fewer than 17% of our elected representatives are women and on the level of state legislatures fewer than 24% are women. So I just feel that if if there was anywhere near equality between the sexes in terms of our elected representatives, I think the conversation would be different. I think that we would be addressing things like child poverty. You know, out of 35 developed nations in the world, our child poverty rate of 23.1% is second only to Romania. So there are so many issues of poverty, of, of, of particularly child poverty, so many areas of, of, of profound, unnecessary human suffering, even our incarceration rate. We have an incarceration rate of higher than any nation in the world. We have 17,000 children who starve on this planet. They starve to death, Randolph, every single day, one every four seconds. Every four seconds a child starves to death on It's this hard island. to believe. I mean, it,
2: it is unfathomable. It's unfathomable.
0: And if you look at the sheer power of American womanhood, we're 51% of the population, we're not a special interest group, I think that if more women were in office, the conversation would be different. And so Sister Giant is a way for women but also for men to have a conversation that goes deep in a very reflective and contemplative way about what these issues are without having to go into the old adversarial crazy political conversation that we all just can't stand because it's so toxic and mean really speak from our hearts about these things and actually give women particularly a chance to know what it takes to run for office, to actually become a part of the electoral process if they so choose. You so know, that's we- what Sister join us.
3: You know, I think that Sister Giant is um also extremely relevant, Randolph, to your broadcast and the beauty series and to the platform of Sylvia Global because we have to start the conversation in multiple arenas, and having platforms and a place to at least feel at liberty to engage. Um, in discussions around our spirituality and politics causes in itself this own awakening that otherwise won't take place. You, right. know, for, you know, personally, um, the reason why it's so important to me is because I have never in my life um, seen a movement happen that did not involve some type of spiritual act of faith. And in order for that movement, whether it was Gandhi or Dr. Martin Luther King in more contemporary terms or whether it was at home or at local levels, there's always been someone who has stepped out on faith. And if those with the best of intentions looking out for the well-being of mankind and humankind um, have approached their political and social change agendas from this Spiritual place of goodness and desiring the best outcome for everyone, then that starts to neutralize the discussion. It starts to change our own ways of thinking and looking at one another. And I think that's a part of the power of an event like Sister Giant. And, you know, it's it's bringing that other voice, this other part of what makes us whole to the forefront. And instead of trying to keep them separate. Uh, You know, again, I think that from a personal level, um, there has not been a single stand that I've ever been taught to take in my life. And I'm African-American, Marianne, and, you know, just I'm so glad we finally get to meet our paths, keep crossing in so many ways. Um, You know, in our community, as long as far back (laughs) as I can remember, it's, it's generational. There's this. Role that the church has been expected to play in affecting social change, whether it's addressing health issues, whether it's addressing child care issues, whether it's addressing political issues. There's always been a place for the church as a leadership example. So when we take our Sunday faith into the Monday through Saturday arenas of life, then it's essential that we move forward politically and socially with a spiritual guidance a spiritual sense of how our being and it does keep circling back to this place of peace and love you know you know it just keeps bringing us back to that
0: yeah but too often even though certainly what you're saying is true in terms of a spiritual basis for most of the great social justice movements let's remember that in today's world um some of what some people what many people consider taking the church into politics um, many people would see as regressive uh this is true. there's a difference between yeah, spirituality difference. and yeah. religious doctrine i mean you there have people supposedly coming from a religious place who are the most homophobic and, yeah. and standing against <laughs> marriage equality for gay there people is, and, there
3: is a difference there is a difference and,
0: Yeah, and there are many people who supposedly are taking, you know, their church into politics who somehow think that Jesus seemed to be saying, you know, give to the rich rather than give to the poor. Um, uh, So there are some issues in today's world where what some people see as the church getting involved um, does not represent social justice issues. It represents some very... um, judgmental and intolerant views so um, whitewashing the role of the church in in American history yeah I'm sorry what Randolph
2: sorry Marianne you know it makes me think of some of your great quotes some actually you know that get misattributed often to famous quote of yours, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, but uh, that uh, we are powerful mm-hmm. beyond measure, and goes mm-hmm. on to say, it is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. You know, recently you, you made a quote about maturity, including the recognition that no one is going to see anything in us that we don't see in ourselves. I hope mm-hmm. that's your quote. Stop waiting for a producer, produce yourself. As you speak about these issues of church and state and politics, I, I think maybe something you're speaking to is largely the the sudden on-edgeness you spoke oh. of earlier. I can answer that now. I think is the 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 responsibility we all feel now? I think in much more of a personal way than maybe ever. It, it's less of the time thinking, "Well, my vote won't matter. My vote doesn't matter." You spoke to this at your last lecture here in Los Angeles, so profoundly, uh, based on a letter you received from um, uh, from from from, 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 yeah. from I don't know if it was from a man or woman, but it was mm-hmm. it was powerful. It was about you know, everybody's um, responsibility at this point in a country where so many countries don't even have the right to elect an official that, uh, that um, uh, is put in office. Um, how do we get to the point of, of, of creating that, reproducing oneself? How, well, you, you know, in it's
0: interesting way? because when you look at that issue and that principle and that point in a political context, that's called a vigorous citizenship. You know, uh, President Eisenhower said that every American uh, should consider politics part of their part-time profession. And so I think that we have lived, most of us have grown up in a uh, country, and I think, Gail, to a certain extent this would not be as true of African Americans because African Americans, given their historical experience, have been more savvy about this. But everybody else has had, whether delusional or not, a sense that things were pretty much taken care of. And I think today more and more of us are w- awaking, you know, like even look at this at this particular election with concern about the voting machines and concern about, you know, voter suppression and, and, and voter intimidation. I mean, this, this is a very serious issue. This is an assault on democracy itself. And I think that more and more of us, as you were saying, um, Randolph, this business of each individual knowing, gee, this is, I need to be awake to this. I can't just leave this in somebody else's hands. I can't just assume uh, the system is going to handle it, which is another which is another version of someone else will produce things. And so I think that, like in our personal lives, it's also true in our collective experience, whenever there is any sense of crisis or looming crisis, we all have to look very deep inside ourselves and ask, what is my responsibility here? What is my move forward here? You know, my... Uh, you know doing sister giant was what i felt moved to do i think each and every one of us both of you and your lives i mean all of us in our own <clears throat> personal journey through life you know ask deep inside ourselves what is my dharma what is my path where is where is the the platform where i can best shine the gifts that i have but the interesting thing when it comes to politics is that it's one dimension of our lives where we move out of me and into we in a whole other way, you know, in the nineteen seventies, I lived in a big house with a bunch of people in in San Francisco, and that was just the kinds of things we did, right everybody you know, and everybody had their own life and their own relationships and their own dramas. But then we had house meetings because together we had to decide what to do about the garage or what to do about the parking outside or what to do about the roof and that 's how I see politics. there are some things where we have to decide not just what am I going to do or what are you going to do, but what are we going to do
3: and I Marianne? think it's a
0: very adult dimension of selfhood yes yes Gail. the
3: yeah know the very adult dimension of selfhood you know i I'm seeing that one of the quotes you have is that we know we need to know the mechanics of the heart and the mind are fundamental drivers of transformation. So how do we, and we're going to start taking some calls here shortly, Uh, how do you define or distinguish spiritual paths from religious affiliations associated with with politics?
0: Spirituality is of the heart. Spirituality is about living from that place of love, peace, and light within ourselves, finding it doing what we can to purify our own hearts, recognizing when we have character defects that block that, being willing to to give up those places where we're not standing in love, where we're not standing on the principles we say we believe in, atoning for the errors when we haven't, and seeking to live every moment to the best of our ability, every hour, every situation to the best of our ability from a more loving, open-hearted place. Now, that's very different than religious doctrine. Because as we were saying before, some people feel that because of their religion, for instance, they are against this or that. Now, interestingly enough, this is where sometimes, and today is a perfect example, and gay marriage is a real perfect example on this one. Some people say that it is against their religion, that because they believe that homosexuality is not of God, that is their religious doctrine, which they have a right to believe, absolutely. I mean, we have religious freedom in this country that they believe that, but then they want to use that doctrine and use that doctrine to, to dominate, to prevail within uh, legislative, uh, legislative reality, even to the point some people wanted a constitutional amendment. Okay, Now, the spiritual journey is much more aligned with the principles on which the United States purports to stand. All men are created equal is a spiritual principle. Not necessarily a religious principle, but it is a, a spiritual principle, which happens to be an American principle. So what that means is that just like I was saying before about what an individual has to do to purify their own hearts and atone for their own mistakes, any time the United States has moved away from its, from its own principles, it's moved away from its spiritual principles. How can you say all men are created equal and then have slavery? How can you or say all men are created system, equal right. and say women can't vote? And right. that now, for many of us, how can you say all men are created equal and all men have equal rights to the opportunities of liberty and say some people can get married, which is clearly a pursuit of happiness, but other people can't? So we can have the conversation about American politics within a spiritual context, but not necessarily within a religious context, because what some people's religious doctrines would lead them to believe is, is not necessarily aligned with the highest ideals of america such as all men are created equal and all of us are um are have the right uh to the blessings of liberty so whether it's slavery or or women's suffrage or gay marriage or anything this is not only a political journey but it's a spiritual journey too
2: You know, Marianne, it it reminds me of Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and you spoke a bit of her and uh, the suffragette movement and the seeds planted by these very brave women, you know, so long ago, but not that long ago in terms of history. But, you know, one of her quotes, the moment we begin to fear uh, the opinions of others and hesitate to tell the truth that is in us. And from the motives of policy are silent when we should speak. The divine floods of light and light no longer flow into our souls.
0: Isn't that and amazing? Don't, isn't don't that you think that quote is, is amazing? That? Isn't
2: that just amazing, that quote? I wanted that, to talk about.
0: It, That is so true. And, you know, when you look at our greatest uh, movement leaders like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, Abraham Lincoln, for that matter, they spoke in very spiritual terms.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that 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 statement is so pure, so circular, so inarguable. It is just, it, it's it's amazing that it, it was said in a time when women were. You, you know, uh, standing for the suffrage, suffragette movement and and, um, and what it's led to, and in many ways led to this Sister Giant event, which is happening in Los Angeles on the 10th and 12th. Tell us more about the event and what you expect to come of it and what we can expect to experience there.
0: Well, before I do, I want to tell you something. You, you might know this already, but I think you'll appreciate this if you don't. Did you know that Susan B. Anthony at all of her speeches always wore a bright red shawl?
2: I didn't. No, <laughs> that is great. She always wore bright We just get a way. little of the fashion into. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> Marianne loves fashion. Everybody, I don't know if you know that, but Marianne has always loved fashion. We've always shared
0: Especially a commonality. Everyone big fashion. Been, it's, been
2: a, it's been an equal exchange, spirit and fashion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just love that one. I thought you'd appreciate that. Well, <laughs> a bright just red, just, red
2: shawl. Uh, well, uh, that doesn't yeah, get your attention. Nothing will.
0: Bright red, exactly. A bright red shawl. She always wore that. Um, so uh, Sister Giant, which will be held November 10th and 11th in Los Angeles, uh, it can also be live-streamed. People can find out about this at sistergiant.com, www.sistergiant.com, and the subtitle is Women, Nonviolence, and Birthing a New American Politics. And we're going to take a look at the child poverty issue, at the high incarceration issue, and we're going to take a a deep look at the Citizens United issue. Um, In 2010, the Supreme Court of the United States, through a decision called Citizens United, which many people believe will be looked back upon uh, by historians as one of the worst decisions ever to come down uh, from the Supreme Court, has given unlimited permission on an anonymous basis to moneyed interests, to so flood our campaign seasons with advertising that expressly advocates the election or defeat of a particular candidate. This is where these PACs come from. This is where these billion-dollar campaigns come from. This is where all this television advertising comes from. They don't even have to report. So whether it's unions or corporations or individuals, we don't even know who they are because nobody has to say. And, you know, it's turned our elections into auctions. The, the the money, you know, you have a U.S. Senator today, in order to credibly run again, has to raise the equivalent of $5,000 a day. This is what these people have to be thinking about, rather than, I mean, the more important issues of how to uh, heal this country and heal this world. So, as I said earlier, only 17%, actually fewer than 17% of the people who Um, Our elected representatives in Congress are women. And I think, Randolph, it's very interesting, and Gail, because I think that women do have some rather unique emotional and psychological uh, resistances to running for office. You know, politics is toxic. It's mean-spirited. I
2: was about to get you into that direction, how we can address this start a conversation, mm-hmm. but also start shifting the paradigm through consciousness that becomes aware of who perpetuates it. I mean, everybody perpetuates it. To
0: oh, yeah, there's no are. particular it, – well, it's largely perpetuated by the money conversation. I mean, when yeah. you have money driving the conversation as much as it does, of course you're not going to have child poverty rate mentioned in, either, in any of the political debates. Why? Because ch- poor children have no financial leverage. No. And, and and why aren't we talking about the incarceration rate? Well, people in prison have no financial leverage, and we've become a country now where financial leverage is what wields political power, which is completely undemocratic. Well, so I think that the issue of women involved, somebody, I, somebody was telling me the other day about a study, and I love this one. There is a study that says if a man is 20% confident in what he's yeah. about to say, he'll yeah. say it. He'll say it. A woman has to feel 80% confident. And, you know, I heard
2: something very interesting yesterday. I Mm -hmm. was at a... Uh, kind of a, a, a social gathering at a Oscar-winning uh, uh, hairdresser and makeup artist home in, in Hollywood, who was doing a, like an afternoon on anti-aging. And I thought, well, this sounds like an interesting topic for me to get my fingers into. Because Next time,
0: invite me, please.
2: <laughs> and I just thought, you know, first of all, is this a fight or is this a, an embrace of, of anti-aging? Because often right. you think about it, uh, you know, what, what is everybody's problem with, with fighting aging, a very natural right. process? But in, in our society, in our culture, clearly not, not not revered, particularly for women, but that's another subject, another time. But it does tie into this. But there was a doctor present who was measuring our antioxidants. There's a machine that will measure everything today. And somehow the conversation came into voice, and uh, the, the uh, and and the the, uh, the the symbolism of of a lot of costume that women. I use the word costume because it is a choice of of dress. But um, uh, so many women, you know, when in positions of power whether it be running a fortune 500 company or a newscaster or a politician adopting mm-hmm. fairly uh, relatively male tailored kind of suit you know let's cut the hair short and but then it went a little bit further a man who was sitting nearby was overhearing this conversation with myself and the doctor and he said well you know there's a study where they've actually measured um, the voice quality and the voice quality of being able to actually be heard and penetrate a consciousness. Very fascinating. And um, I guess there there has been statistics that have proven that the, the male voice in certain ways, you, you know, you even listen to the way newscasters are taught to um, – to project their voices, this mm-hmm. style of, of of lecturing, a certain style. Mm-hmm. I believe we have a caller that's actually going to speak to this. It's fascinating mm-hmm. how much of it, it really embodies uh, uh, somewhat of a male ideology, a kind mm-hmm. of a, that stems from. Uh, um, but how do we not forsake a feminine power, a feminine intuition, the feminine authentic love, the feminine uh, um, um, mothering instinct? All of those things that you know. Um, for, for some reason may not have the same penetrative quality when it comes to people listening up and and taking heed.
0: Right. Well, it's a very big issue, and it's not only um, for how do men hear a, a woman when she speaks her voice, but also how other women. I mean, I would think Gail would agree with that. I mean, sometimes uh, women feel not just undervalued, it, by men or by the culture in general. I think sometimes women feel undervalued by other women, that somehow if a man says it, it's more important. Not only if a man's voice says it, it's more important, but also, you know, Marlo Thomas made a comment years ago that I thought was so amazing. She said, for a man to be considered ruthless, he has to bomb Cambodia. For a woman to be considered ruthless, she has to put you on hold. So, <laughs> So it's not only that a man's voice is often deemed to somehow be more official, but also that a woman's voice, if in fact she's not happy, mm-hmm. uh, we, don't ha- we don't really have the equivalent of the word bitch. Yeah.
3: Oh, you know, I talked to my husband about that a couple years ago. Actually, it, it stemmed around um,
0: some corporate
3: pressure and decisions that I had to, made, to make around supporting a certain candidate, And if I endorse that candidate, Mm -hmm. then they were going to consider withdrawing their corporate support from a project I was engaged in. And if I – and they wanted me to actually take those – Those influences into the arena that that corporation endorsed. And that was a really tough place to be because it required me not only to evaluate the seriousness of my decision as it related to my business at the time, but my own personal values and what I was willing to stand on Mm -hmm. and and at what risk. And it was really an interesting approach. First, they sent in the the, the female to have the, I call it the sister girl talk, right. you know, to talk to me about, you know, well, you might want to consider da 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 And I said, you know, I really don't agree with the position of this other candidate. It doesn't work to the benefit of the, the community that I see that um, ha- lacks voice on this issue. And I'm not, you know, convinced that I should withdraw my support under such duress well then after that then they you know kind of tightened up the the chains of influence and sent the big boys in I mean flew them in from out of town let's sit down and have lunch together in a nice restaurant we really want you to reconsider and I thought this is really a trip you know first of all you have now revealed to me how much clout a single woman's voice can have if we're not afraid to speak up. And at the same time, oh, my gosh, it's I'm so nervous because what am I putting at risk here? I ended up making the choice of doing what I believed was of good conscience and in mm-hmm. alignment with my values, and that was to stay the course that I was already on. The candidate won. Um, the, the, the people that needed to have voice um, have now have access, and mm-hmm. things are progressing. And I think that um, for women, you know, in addition to what the two of you were just saying, there's all these added pressures internally that we have to take into consideration that we don't get a chance to share or discuss with others. And that's what I applaud you for with Sister Giant, is that we'll be able to be among a group of men and women who understand the value of our voice and aligning ourselves with our spiritual values as well.
0: Hmm. Well, I think that you, there's a lot going on in this particular election with companies that have told their their employees that if they vote for Obama, <clears throat> then right. the company doesn't think that they would be able to keep them on payroll because they say that's, he'll be so bad for business. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 very scary when people start telling other people how they want them to vote in order to keep their jobs because of course it's a form of intimidation. Yeah, yeah.
3: you know, So you had mentioned earlier about you know just I'm circle back to it and we're waiting. We have some callers um, that have emailed. Deb Sofil is one of them. She's going to be coming on in a minute. We have several um, texts and email questions that are coming over.
0: Right. So,
3: to circle back to an earlier question, you know, or comment around appearances in the political arena, you know, and females, you know, even you know the that notation would made in, be made in historical documents about Susan B. Anthony, you know, and the red Shaw, you know, you know, talk about um, what influences women's attire when it comes to entering politics. Well, and I. You know, how we. Adjust-
0: so- yeah, if you look at, like, let's say something like the State of the Union uh, um, address in, in in Congress, and partly it's just kind of the culture of Washington, D.C. But when you look out at it, our Congress people, it's one thing for everybody to be dressed up. Dressed up every, for the occasion, I totally understand. But when you look at Congress, it, I always feel like that's not what America looks like, even when America is dressed up. So I think that this is a less important, obviously less important, but still interesting way in which too many people feel that if I go into politics, I have to fit into a particular box in order to do it. Now, I think that there there are issues far more important than how we dress that are involved there, but I do think that part of the conversation that we do need to be having that would make women feel less intimidated by electoral politics is you don't have to become someone other than who you are.
1: I think that's that important.
0: that's where we need to go. I think that that's one of the things that keeps women from running often is, I will have to change my fundamental way of being in the world. Well, will you expect it, Will you be expected to be dignified and savvy and knowledgeable and mature? Yes, but you do not necessarily or you should not necessarily have to feel that you have to fit into a particular box that most people um, associate uh, yeah. With politics, that's the opposite of being representational, given the fact that the United States, it, that's the beauty of the United States, is our diversity on many levels. And I mean, even like Yale talking about women. being an African-American, you know, I, I look at some African-American women who were in Congress, and I sometimes wonder, you know, it, some of the clothing and the hairstyles, I wonder, is that really the way you, I mean, really? <laughs> you know, when you think of all the African-American and the glorious um
1: Ways of dress and the expressiveness. Yeah. yeah,
0: expressiveness. And yet, when it comes to politics, everybody shrinks into one particular right, book right. So, it's well, you know, is it, that, it, is a said, very yeah. particularly
2: female uh, way of thinking and a very common thing. We've talked about this on the show and this this uh, this compare and despair uh, uh, aspect to, to women and, and the need for self-possession as the root for really developing any strong sense of, of, of self and authenticity and uh, honoring what you love. And, and you say in, in it the all, way you
0: want to say it. I mean, what exactly. you just said, this is who I am, this is my authentic self, and, and no, I'm not going to say it the way you think I should say it. I'm going to say it the way I say it because my constituents say it that way too and when I go to Washington, I'm still going to say it that way. I mean, if women tell that and they thought we could really be who we are, I think a whole lot more of us would run for office.
3: Deb Sofil is here with us. Deb, can you hear us?
1: I can, thank you. Hey,
3: Deb, you know, thanks so much for joining in today, and welcome back to Sylvia Global. You know, your power reaches into all levels of government, and it influences the direction of issues, policies, through direct and effective communications. How much of what
1: you're hearing right now
3: can become a new reality for women in politics.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, and thank, hello to my guest. You know, I will say both, both your guests are exactly right. If people would just be who they are, that's who we elect, and we're shocked when you come home two years later somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you will struggle to be reelected, and we're seeing that with the turnovers that we have once we break incumbency. The reality is most folks <laughs> haven't really figured out who they are. And what we find many times at campaign school, they come hoping for someone to give them that nudge. And we say, you've got to have a fire in your belly. There has to be what I call righteous indignation. Something has to bring you to the table. And when it brings you to the table, you will be a powerful voice, force to deal with. Whether it's your voice, whether it's your dress, it's your idea that's going to win.
2: Or your red they- shawl. <laughs>
1: Or that, or grandmother in tennis shoes, or whatever other name they have for us, which, by the way, they don't usually name guys unless it's the Teflon mm-hmm, kid or
3: mm-hmm. something like
1: that. So what we're looking for, though, is a big idea. You know, what the problem is, and I teach the campaign speech part at the Women's Campaign School at Yale, and the fact is what wins nowadays is big ideas and short speeches.
3: Mm-hmm. Frankly, your audience
1: isn't paying attention, so why are you droning on and on? hmm and so why not be willing to step outside, and, you know, we always use the phrase, speak your truth, but speak your truth with facts, but don't forget what makes a woman a rock star candidate, and that is the ability to tell a story. What brought you to this place? Goodness knows I don't need any more facts and figures. I can figure that out, and by the way, we don't believe them. But what brought you to this place that has caused you to take a new direction, a new step, a new opportunity To let your voice not only be heard, um, but that power is given. Because what I find is a lot of people talking, nobody's listening. So you need a coach to help you not only speak, but be heard. So then action will be taken. There really is three parts to that. Do you You think
2: I'm dumb to that? uh, Jeff, do you think it's just like reading a magazine today? I see women sort of blindly reading magazines. They just turn the pages, ad after ad. You know, pushing this, pushing that. Buy this, and you'll be your lips will be fuller. And buy this, and your lashes will be longer. And buy this, and your hips will be slimmer. And buy this, and your boobs will be higher. And we've become, you know, numb to the to the the, the, the mediums of things that we are. And social wisdom spoken in such a way that we've just heard the speeches and we tune out because the the the. We We need the big idea, but we also need something to wake us up.
1: That's why I'm going to move you to storytelling. I'm going to move you to what brought you to this place. And nine out of ten times, so I work with candidates all across the board. If I ask most guys, hey, why are you running for public office? They say, crime, education, and taxes. I'm like, really? I've never heard that before. And then I ask a lady, why are you running for office? And she says, well, I stood in line at the DMV, and I think we could run that better. So for a guy, I've got a Um, in a funny sense, bring him in. Let's figure out what brings you to the table. For many of my female clients, I have to expand them out because you're not going to win on just one issue. So it is, you're right, we're inundated with so much. So how about you just tell me what you really think within reason and in that reason, make sure you can back up what you say. The reason most people are tuning away is you can't back it up. Or I can go online and I can negate everything you've just said. That's what keeps happening after these debates, which, by the way, really, is a debate going to change somebody's mind on who they're already voting for? Probably not. Well,
0: apparently, yes, after that first debate where Obama did so poorly. I mean, the people, obviously, yes, the answer was yes. I mean, that really changed his political fortunes. By the way, I want to say hello, Deb. It's, I'm, hello. I'm so glad to meet you. And for Thank Gail you. and Randolph and all your listeners to know, Deb is going to be speaking at Sister Giant in, uh, weekend after next. So, Deb, it's really, really nice to actually hear you in person. I've heard so much about you. And you know what Deb was saying about just now about you know what brings you here? Sister Giant, I talk in Sister Giant about a politics of conscience. Right now, it is economic values rather than humanitarian values that uh, order our society and order our civilization. And that's why, you know, you have things like children given a, such a short shrift, your child poverty rate in the United States being so high, the incarceration rate being so high, and, of course, the issue of of, of Citizens United also deals with the dominance of moneyed interests. And I think for many people who are coming to Sister Giant, the, what they will have in their hearts is, much like Deb just said, I want to run for off they, to, to be to be confident, to be feeling that they can, without embarrassment, say, I'm running for Congress or I'm running for state legislature or I'm running for Senate or whatever else because I'm concerned about child poverty in this country. I'm concerned about the high incarceration rate. I'm concerned about the, the state of democracy itself through things such as Citizens United. And then that what Sister Giant will be, is a marriage of people such as Deb and the Yale Campaign School, the Women's Campaign School at Yale that can do such great training for women in actually what it takes to actually run. And then also the piece that we give, which is we'll, we'll, we'll give you good information. Shannon Daly Harris coming from the Children's Defense Fund, who will be able to speak to us about child poverty. Adam Winkler telling us about Citizens United. And I think what Deb just said is very relevant to that to that statistic, that if a man feels confident in 20% of what he's about to say, he'll say it. And a woman sometimes feels that she needs to be 80%. So I think this marriage of what the campaign school at Yale can do, which is really training women, this is what it takes to run for office and all the things that Deb was saying, plus the kind of information that we'll give you and the sort of emotional and psychological um, conversation that we'll have about what blocks us. Um, I think the, the marriage of those two is is an extraordinary opportunity for women. And I just may I say one more thing, though, about what you just said, Randolph, about women. And if you do this, your lips will look better. If you'll do that, your lashes will look better. If you do this, your hips will look better. I think we want to be careful there, too. And I know that you agree with me because you are a purveyor of feminine beauty. That's what you are as a designer. And women... I know you don't want, and neither do I or any of us, for women to feel bad or guilty about the fact that we want to appreciate the aesthetics of female beauty, too. You know, it's like when you said that, I thought, well, when I went and bought mascara the other day, I asked which one would make my lips (laughs) dry, not my lips, but my, my lashes look fuller. And so, you know, I think sometimes, too, we want to be careful not to make ourselves feel like we shouldn't be Seeking to be, it's like when I was talking about the State of the Union address. I think there should be diversity, but yeah, everybody should dress up. <laughs> it's no, the President of the United States. You know? shouldn't use yeah. those
2: products. Yeah. My yeah. point was the way in those products are advertised. I was using the magazine. That's true,
0: too. I'm like you have no value if you don't.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, the magazine example is a, as an example of the way the medium of, of listening to speeches or turning on your television or how, how, how everything becomes a sea of similarity. And, right. and, and it's interesting to watch women as they read a, a magazine in a hair salon or when they're getting their nails done to finally stop and see what is. The page that makes them stop, what is the idea that makes them listen? what is the who is the speaker that says the thing that shifts that consciousness, finds the tipping point? What are the businesses that break through? what are fascinating to me yeah. because, and Deb speaks to this. there is something that, i mean so many people trying to do the same thing, whether it be write a book, create a screenplay, uh, uh, right. uh, bring a message about what yeah. why some penetrate and why others don 't so in right. this conversation about women. And this complicated uh, yeah. subject of, of how to run and, and, and all the choices. By the way, uh, you know, a little bird told me that um, when can we see Marianne on the ballot? <laughs> Not to put you on the spot.
0: Well, <laughs> uh, I think I live inside the same question. A lot of women live inside. You know, Dad Patty had told me once about um, that some of the women people who attend the Yale campaign school, the women's campaign school at Yale. Then the the problem, and I know Patty had told me this once. That also, which is related, if if, if women are running against men for, for office, the electorate will vote for a woman as often as a man, right, Deb?
1: Yes, absolutely. But,
0: but what we have is not enough women running. I feel the same reticence that many women feel. I feel it too. It's scary. It's toxic. It's mean. I will be made fun of. I will be smeared. I will have ugly pictures taken of me. I will have bad things, mean things said about me. Um, I feel the uh, the same stuff that other women feel. I think in general, I don't think it's always true, it's a generalization, but I think it's a legitimate generalization to suggest that men are not stopped by personal embarrassment as much as women are. Um, that, that
3: actually is consistent with a, uh email question that just came in for you. Marianne, you were just um, expressing it very well, and that's, you know, what's the, you know, the stakes seem higher for women. Exactly. Like the office, and what price?
0: <clears throat> exactly. Um, it's a level of personal that, devastation yeah. that I think men can just sort of like blow off more easily sometimes than women. I'm not saying their feelings aren't hurt, but we can – you know, so when you ask it's me, I feel here. what many women feel, life's fine as it is. Why would you go in there? And yet yeah. we also know why we do need to go in there. Yeah, so know. I'm living inside the same question everybody else I know is.
3: And Miriam, and that's that was a part of my point earlier, Deb. I don't um, know if you heard that part or not, but when I was sharing that experience around the pressure of changing my vote, you know, right. and, or it affecting my business, you know, I internalize, I mean, that really bothered me for uh, quite a while leading up to a final decision. And I don't think it, you know, my husband was able to kind of let it roll off his shoulders a lot easier and a lot sooner than I was. But, you know, it's like, I'm not sure this is worth the price, you know, of what I have, what I'm being expected to give up. And I can't help but wonder, Deb, if that's also part of what you were referring to when you said the candidate comes in one way, you know, and then they come out somebody different.
1: You know, sometimes that is the case. We do know this. It's funny. Most guys would mortgage the house for an extra couple hundred thousand to finish a race. Most women will not.
0: Really? That's an interesting one, Deb.
1: You basically um, you get to a point, and I see it a lot on campaigns. And they look at me pleadingly. Do I do I mortgage the house? And I will always say no, because when all said and done, you gotta have a place to live. Right. Um, and I am the youngest of five all brothers, and the theory at my house was: do all you gotta do, you can make more money tomorrow. Well, that's unusual. I found out when I hit the real world. Most people want to cling to what they have. Mm. So. Politics isn't – I mean, let's let's lay it out. It's not for everybody, but at some point you can have a part in the process, whether you host a coffee so you can meet the candidates or you actually get involved. And remember, it's not just being elected to Congress. There is school board. There's city council. There's neighborhood events. But the fact is what we're looking for are some good people to step up and let their voice be heard. We are what, very yeah. grateful at the campaign school to be invited to Marianne's conference. She's opened a, a tremendous door to simply say to all walks of life, and I would dare say a lot of folks, as you have all, you've all expressed, it's, politics is dark and dirty. Well, guess what, folks? If you enter a little light into that, it dispels that darkness. We need good people to step up. And you know, Deb. Something, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, you're good. Good. <clears throat>
0: something that I uh, that you just said that I want to also add to, that I've told a lot of people about Sister Giant, who said, well, I, you know, I don't know about the Sunday part because I don't know if I ever want to run. And I've said, conscious people need to at least know what that conversation is, so that if you have a friend who says they want to run for office, it wouldn't sound to you like a friend saying, I'm going to go live in Cambodia for a year. <laughs> You know what I'm saying?
1: It I do. Sound like let me something... just say it. The, the number one issue for women in politics is that there's no one else at their kitchen table cheering them on.
0: Exactly. And remember,
1: this is usually a family event. I've had more right. spouses on both sides destroy a campaign. But mm-hmm. the reality is, at the campaign school, we not just teach candidates. We teach campaign managers. Right. And as someone who's worked in the business, a woman will run a campaign very differently than what a man will. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to um, to the gentleman on the call, the reality is the voice. If you're a woman running for office, I want to hear a woman's voice on your radio commercial. You can bring in the deep voice that talks like this, but the reality is that's not you. So I'm also much more about putting my candidate into the fray because if you and when you are standing, when the storm has passed, we'll vote for you for life. So there is a lot of good here, but to your point, Marianne, yes, I need folks to understand how they impact the process. And by the way, ignoring it impacts it also. That is so,
0: you know, this is, it's so important when you were talking about the kitchen table. When I, um, when I was at, at Yale with you guys, uh, whenever that was, several months ago, one yes. of the things I talked about, Deb, was how every female candidate needs a positivity team. And by that I mean people who are around you just to emotionally and psychologically support you through it. And sometimes people say, Well, I don't really have anything to give to your campaign because I mean I don't know anything about politics. But when you look at it in a holistic way and you realize that the entire person has to get involved in a campaign. It's not just a nine to five job to run for office. (laughs) And you begin to understand the various needs of a political candidate which are not just administrative and are not just political consultant, have to do with supporting the whole person in making this making this choice in their life. That's why all of us and all of us who are interested in really changing the United States and the world need to just be exposed enough to the conversation. And that's what I was talking about, about you and Patty and and um, Karen on Sunday. I said, no, you, regardless of what you think, you need to totally listen to that part. That's the climax of the whole thing, because you will walk away from that part of Sister Giant more savvy with a much greater understanding of what this conversation is, whether you ever want to run for office or not, and also what you just have been saying, Deb, which is so important, you might want to run for school board. You might want to run for city council. It's not just running for Congress or anything like that.
3: Mary Ann, you have a a question that's come in, and the question is what would you need in order to feel more supported in order to run for office?
0: You know, there is – uh, a real issue here with Sister Giant that has to do with moving away from the paradigm where it's about one individual person running. And I think that we've just been through a chapter in our in our history in the United States where we thought one person was going to make it all happen. Politics isn't like that. We need a lot of people and when it comes to women we need a lot of people. And so, you know, there's a, a term, next indicated action. My heart Talk to me about Sister Giant. I felt like Sister Giant, this whole idea of opening up the field for a lot of women to be involved, that's where my heart lies at the moment. Whether or not I would ever contribute at my highest by running, I don't know. I do understand. I do understand that I can't with integrity be asking every other woman in America to consider it unless I am. I, I do understand that issue. But I meant what I said about just living with the question. Unfortunately, when you're talking about the real risks involved in running for office in the United States in terms of the toxicity, the meanness, the oppositional research, the lies, the smearing, nobody can guarantee you it won't be there. So when that questioner says, what do you need? Well, everybody wants Well, could I have 100% guarantee they won't be mean to me? Well, nobody can give that to you. So that's why all any of us can do is just look in our hearts and say, is that the best way I can contribute? And if it really is you feel the best way you can contribute, then you have to live with that
1: risk. And let me add to that. So I've been in politics for about 14 years, and for a while I thought I would go to a higher office. But I realized that where I am in the great state of South Carolina, it's a little tough to do. Um, And a while back I decided to make a very conscious decision. Instead of Deb climbing the ladder personally – I would build a farm team, and I would help fifteen other women find their mm-hmm. place in the system. Mm-hmm. Now I'm still the I'm still the rock. I'm still the mm-hmm. touchstone. I'm still the one they mm-hmm. turn to. But I got to tell you, I've got some great friends in all avenues of public office because there is one steady voice and strong hand with wisdom on how to do this business. And that's just as important as the person running. Absolutely. In fact, it could be more so because I can only do so much, but 15 of my friends, yeah. of my rowdy friends, yep, oh, friend, we can change the world. That's how I'm seeing it, too. I'm
0: thinking to myself, if if women start running for office and they're standing on things like Citizens United, on things like child poverty, on things like the high incarceration rate, on things like the 17,000 children dying every day of hunger, on the issue of global poverty, if there are people standing on a humanitarian platform like that, I will coach them in public speaking. People ask me all the time, will you coach us in public speaking? And I go, no, my heart's not there. But if you tell me women are going to start running on those kinds of things, so it's like Deb just said, maybe that's the highest, best use of my talents to help other women uh, run with certain skills that perhaps I could help them develop and that that would be, as Deb was just saying, a better contribution than her or I actually running for office. It's very individual. We all just have to ask in our hearts, you know, how can I best serve, right?
1: And that also leaves a lasting legacy. Because every right. time they hit the stage, they say, I'm here today because I, Marianne Williamson encouraged me. I'm or here they, think of it. they think it, even if they don't feel moved to say it. And in some places, that. it probably wouldn't help
0: to say it. Yeah,
1: but <laughs> <if> we, Sylvia, <laughs> yeah. dale opened the door. Randolph Duke opened the door. Women's Campaign School opened the door. That's right. the legacy we leave behind. Right. You, you know, Deb, we
3: were introduced by um, Nim Gallagher, Niamh mm-hmm. right. Gallagher, in Ireland. Uh huh. Um, wow. Nim the, came to the school. That's right. And she, you know, again, the, the founder of Women for Elected Office there in Ireland. Mm. And so, one of the next questions, and we do have a caller we're trying to get in um, so you can hear their voice directly. In the meantime, I'm addressing emails and texts that are coming through is a question for you, Deb, around the work of the Women's Campaign School at Yale to help women in other parts of the world outside of the United States.
1: We are very blessed to have partnerships with uh, NDI, National Democrat Institute, and IRI, International Republican Institute. And don't let the name scare you, because once you get out of America, nobody plays the politics like we do here. The reality is our job is to help both groups bring folks to America, come to the campaign school, and learn what it takes to win. Yes, you may have a parliamentary form of government. Things could be a little different. But a quarter of our class at Yale is international. And as we watch these women go back to their home countries, they go armed with what it takes to not only win elections, but to bring people along in order to change a generation. So we are very adamant with that. That's something we've always done. It makes us unusual as a campaign school. That you know, So your class is divided. I have Republicans, Democrats, Independents, and then I have these internationals. And probably the greatest thing about the internationals is this. If you're from a small town down in Louisiana and you meet somebody from another country, your world is now expanded. And the friendships that have happened across the pond or other places have been exciting for us to watch because we're, we're expanding our world also by helping them in their own countries. And guess what? We can send money. We can send good wishes. We can send campaign advice. And when we vacation to your country, we'll drop by and see you. So my point at the campaign school for many years is meet the internationals. You never know where you're going on vacation. We have another caller. Let's.
2: Uh...
3: Hi, you're on the air.
2: Hi, I, I need to go back. I've been trying to get through, but my question is, was why would I want to sacrifice my wife to the political wolves? Uh, I, you know, I, I know you've, you've passed that point already, but I was trying to get through to, to make the call and ask the question.
0: I, I have, um, Deb, uh, tell me what, what your thoughts are. I, I certainly have some thoughts to share on that.
1: Well, I would disagree with the word sacrifice. <clears throat> um, I think, yes, it is in one sense, but the reality is if you can stand beside your wife and she can let her voice be heard in the marketplace, you have no idea the reach and effect that she can have, and it is a tough business. But I'll tell you, to have a partner to stand by you through the good and the bad will lead um, the joy in the journey and then the lives that are changed and the opportunity to see is good far outweighs the few months of heavy campaigning. And I will say, most people consider this a brutal business. If you are strong and powerful and you have a well-run campaign and you put up the forces that you need to protect yourself, folks, it's like anything else you do. You will survive. You will be stronger. And I'll tell you the great thing about politics. You really find some amazing friends that will last a lifetime. So I don't consider it a sacrifice. It's hard. Listen, I've won and I've lost. Winning's a whole lot more fun. But I keep running, and I did until I got to where I wanted to go because I knew that I was needed in the marketplace to stand in the gap for some. So, no, so please, I would encourage you, let's change the language because I'm about the words and think about what she can do that would perhaps change the life of others. With you by her side, being that protector in the good times and bad.
0: I have a slightly different take, which is um, a compliment, I think, to uh, complimentary to uh, what um, Deb just said. I think it is currently, for a lot of people in a lot of situations, a sacrifice. And the reason Sister Giant exists is we can live the question, is it possible to recreate this experience? Is it possible to recreate the conversation, to create our own field where we are not standing in the midst of the toxic maelstrom. We are standing in the midst of a more peaceful and more beautiful and more heart-centered conversation and energy field. Outside that energy field is the toxicity of the traditional conversation. But it's like anything else in life where we try to find our peace and then take it into the chaos of the world. So I understand the level on which Deb was saying, which is relanguage it so it's not seen as a sacrifice, but I also understand the level on which for many of us, oh, yes, it would be for the reasons that we've talked about. But, sir, I think the point is, to me, you and your wife, if you have this kind of interest, I hope you'll come to Sister John. That's what Sister John is about. Can we create a new field of a political conversation, including the electoral that is savvy, that is not la-la, that marries that understanding of standing inside new possibilities, standing inside more conscious awareness, married to political savvy and understanding in such a way that it would not be seen as a sacrifice. A challenge, absolutely. Like, any, like doing anything well is a challenge. Um, You know, anything you do is going to carry with it, you know, like Deb was saying, you take the good with the bad. But can we recreate it so that it would not just off the top be seen as as a sacrifice? That's really what this is all about is living inside that question.
3: Thank you. Randolph?
2: Yes, you know, I wanted to say these last few minutes, Marianne, for you to share with us maybe a quote, a prayer. Your your prayers are just incredible and and transformative. Any thought you had in terms of a mantra, so to speak, that you could leave the audience, the listeners with, all of us with, after, you know, what's been a very quick hour of enlightening conversation, inspired uh, uh, pearls of wisdom, and and opening a conversation that we hope to continue and will undoubtedly be uh, um, and promises to be, just an exciting uh, movement and opportunity at Sister Giant on the 10th and the 11th. So I, I leave it to you, Marianne, to really well, sort of thank give you. us something to really meditate on.
0: I am a romantic when it comes to America. There is a, an ironic juxtaposition between the toxicity and the challenges and the mean-spiritedness that we've discussed here on the phone today and that we've rightfully discussed that has to do with politics today. But there's an ironic juxtaposition between that and this absolutely magnificent historical unfoldment called the political journey of the United States of America. We have, from the very beginning, stood on principles so high that they were historic not only in, polit- in political terms but even in spiritual and philosophical terms. And yet, from the beginning, we have lived in certain ways in transgression against the, own, the principles on which we purport to stand. Many of the founders who bequeathed to us those enlightened principles were themselves slave owners. We were founded in many ways on the genocide of Native Americans. We did not give women the right to vote. We needed to have the civil rights movement to, make, to even begin to make things right after slavery was already uh, eradicated. Today, we live that the power and the tension. Of those, of that dichotomy as much as we ever have. There are forces in this generation as well as in every other generation that have stood really with great confidence and power and conviction on the idea of America fully embodying the principles on which we purport to stand. And there are those who would withdraw the resources of the United States from the most magnificent principles on which we stand. I think that the tension that Sister Giant represents is for those of us who feel that the grand adventure of America, the magnificent journey of America, the, the beautiful unfoldment of possibility of human actualization, self-actualization, which is really what liberty is about, that anybody should have a chance to be whatever they want and whatever they work to achieve, there are so many of us who are so drawn to that and find it so beautiful and find it so worthy of our deeper yearnings. But we don't want to go near this low-level, dense, material, mean, toxic cesspool called politics as it too often is. So I am so thrilled that so many people, we already have 850 people registered for Sister Giant from all over the country. The only state that we don't yet have represented we don't have south dakota maine or arkansas we have people who are registered from every other state and i hope we'll get them by the time it's done i know just the fact that so many people have registered and i'm so grateful that deb and and her colleagues are coming from the women's campaign school the very fact that there's so much buzz about sister giant and that so many people are coming means that millions of people i think agree with me can we get back to the conversation about how beautiful america can be not from a not from a from a from a naive place but from a place that is worthy of our intellectual achievements and our intellectual efforts as well as our spiritual so uh, you know uh, Eisenhower once again quoting president Eisenhower he said the american mind at its best is both liberal and conservative america at its best has been where high-minded conservative principles and high-minded liberal tradi- principles were brought together in a in a synergistic way, everybody knowing that no one has a monopoly on truth, and then a greater good emerges. I'm a romantic about that. America at its best has always demonstrated that. I think it's possible now, and I'm just excited, even in radio programs like this, that we even have an opportunity to, 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 to imagine such a possibility. And that is my prayer. My prayer is that we that's get back to that. That's absolutely
2: beautiful. I, I so believe in the return of romance, and that argues to another question and subject for another show, The Death of Romance, but it's alive and kicking with people like you, Marianne. Thank you so much to my guests today, Deb Sofield, so much for joining in. Gail, thank you so much for co-piloting this with me. And Marianne, you're a shining light uh, in this world of New Age consciousness, a political movement for women. Uh, thank you for this illuminating hour, Marianne. I will see you soon. It's Mr. Giant. And everybody, remember, wW www.mistergiant.com, maryann.com, and thank you so much for tuning in to the show here at Sylvia Global. Thank
3: you, everybody. God bless you. Thank you.
0: Thank,
1: thank you. you. Take care. Bye bye. Love you Bye-bye, guys. Bye everyone. Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.